welcome to X-Rated. I'm Matt Fisher. That's the rest. And uh, welcome to season six. <sighs> the rest. Is that what we're going with? Ryan, the rest, Whedon. <sighs> it does have a flow to it. You, you got to admit. Mm. Just, you know, like the other 99%, perhaps. <laughs> Ryan, the rest, Whedon. I think that uh, it's a step up from your current nickname, Ryan, the wrist, Whedon. <laughs> Hey, I earned that title. <laughs> Every inch of it. <laughs> Speaking of wrists of the limp variety, have you noticed those bus ads that, that have been going on telling us to go to Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, and it's clearly like a bunch of homos hanging out and like one of them's got his got like a limp wrist going on? Uh, I have not noticed this, no. They're, they're bus ads and I just realized they made me feel like immediately comfortable like when I first my first impression of it, then I realized I noticed the like kind of fey hand gesture and was like, oh, that's like this is marketed towards me. Well, you know, homosexuals are a driving economic force in this country. It's true. That's true. I just hate being marketed towards. Why? You don't want things that you want. <laughs> I mean, I don't like the idea that I can be narrowed down to just like this small target idea. Get over it. <laughs> There was an ad, a couple, a billboard ad, like, I don't know, 10 years ago that was like, I don't even remember the slogan now, but it was like a hot dude in a bathing suit on one end and on the other end, a half a slice of, of avocado. And it was something like, which one would you choose? Or decisions are difficult or something like that. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> they are. No, I think that's a, a triumph of advertising right there. I just don't like being pandered to, I think. I want people to know my every want and desire and for it to be like, you know, served to me on a shiny platter. And if the price is right, then I might buy it. You're ready for a minority report style advertising situation where they, they target you directly? Oh, I thought you meant like precogs are going to know what I want ahead of time. I mean, I'm also the type of person that would like absolutely like fall into that. You know, I'll go to the grocery store, like, just needing, like, frozen peas, mm -hmm. and then I'll walk out with, like, everything but. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, and But that's because of advertising? Uh, yeah. I mean, I definitely pick up those screaming deals or those manager specials. Mm -hmm. uh, that have your name on them pointing to it, like, Matt, buy this. <laughs> well, especially, like, if I think that I'm getting a deal, I'm like, oh, this is only $10. This is a screaming deal. It could have been $10 originally, <laughs> and I would have just walked right by it. That's how I shop for wine, by the way. Screaming deals? Yeah, I look for the difference in price between the sale price and the actual price. And oh, if yeah. If it's like $7 or more, even if you know the wine ends up still being like $12, $13, I'm like, well, that's a deal. <laughs> so you're you're shopping for the bargain, not for the product. That's, yes. And you're saying that you don't like to be advertised to. I hate it. I have to apologize for my disheveled appearance. I realized I didn't yeah, do Pluto, much today. Yeah, like uh, just out of control over there. Regular Ritz Ratso, Midnight Ratso. Cowboy. Ratso. Ratso. Okay. Sure. Ratso Rizzo. Was that his Rizzo? name? Rizzo. Uh, Rizzo's the rat from the Muppets, I think. I thought Rizzo was the pink lady from Greece. She was. Yeah. <laughs> Well, if I look like her, then everything's <laughs> coming up Ryan. <laughs> uh, you got a shade of pink going on there. I do. I found this shirt in the, in the street, in the gutter. <laughs> Wait a minute. Oh, shit, this isn't working right. You saw it and you're just like, gotta have it. Yeah, I think it was, it was in a pile of clothes that I think someone had thrown out. A jilted lover had thrown out of their apartment window. <laughs> and I was like walking home from the bar one night thinking, hey... This is actually pretty cool. <laughs> that looks just my size. Yeah, I took it home and I washed it, and that was 10 years ago now. Wow. Money well spent. <laughs> Wait, this is how you always look. What? What part? Your, in fact, your hair was decidedly more disheveled while we were talking about Tootsie. All right, I'm going to be honest. I rarely shower before I come over here on Mondays. I mean, Monday's like my lazy day. Well, I was going to say, you shower afterwards because we get so dirty, right? Getting into the nitty-gritty of these movies. Oh, my God. 
you walk away just with a, a, a you walk away with a film on you. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> that's it right there. That's what we've been building to. <laughs> so, did you watch anything besides the movie in question this week? Uh, yeah. Uh, I watched one that you mentioned uh, during our Pedro Almodovar double feature. Oh. Uh, what have I done to deserve this? Oh, yeah. So, A, I don't think I followed a word of it. <laughs> and I remember you had mentioned something about, like, a child with psychic abilities. Yeah. That child doesn't show up to, like, minute 70. <laughs> In like it's a real shocker in like it? a 97 minute movie because <laughs> uh, I while I was watching I was like if there's a psychic child in this it is not apparent by watching it <laughs> uh, yeah I just I had a whole bunch of trouble following it I had no idea it's like, a mess yeah it, it was a mess and then yeah a psychic child shows up like in in the beginning of act three or something I'm like I don't know what this has to do with <laughs> with anything and I was like, oh, yeah, some of these early Elmodovar films are rough. That's right. <laughs> he found his footing, though. He did. I mean, luckily, I don't know how, but he was allowed to continue to make <laughs> movies. Yeah, shit like that wouldn't fly these days. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it was it was a strange journey for certain. Let's see. I watched, um, I finally got around to watching the Netflix documentary 13th. About um, the the prison industrial complex and how it uh, disproportionately affects uh, people of color. Oh yeah. Needless to say, it's a downer. Uh, but it's I think it's really important, and uh, it really spells it out in a way that I hadn't really thought about before. Mandatory minimums. Mandatory minimums is part of it, and the thirteenth is in reference to the thirteenth amendment of the Constitution, where it's like you can only be denied freedoms if you are a criminal. And so they draw this line where it's like, well, if we criminalize these people, then they don't, A, don't get to vote. And then they also, um, you know, get to be denied liberty. And we can also put them to work for free labor. So it's like, still slavery, really? Yeah. Uh, yeah. But, I mean, it's it spells it out. The documentary also blames bill clinton a lot too for it because yeah. he, he was not great on uh the crime stance like 90s he, were not woke man no they were not woke not at all uh but thankfully i mean well thankfully but a good thing is you know technology has allowed us to take videos of brutality yeah. all the time now and it's like a constant thing in our conversation which i think is a is a step forward um I just hope we can make good steps from there. I mean, we probably won't in the next couple of years, <laughs> but maybe in the couple of years after that. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. Let's hope. this week Matt. this week in the first of my favorite franchise entries we watched the best superman movie superman returns a i don't think there's that many good superman movies uh suck at dick donner um <laughs> like one and two are fine like they're good and i'm mm-hmm. i'm particularly fond of when uh in the second one when the villains like go to the white house and make the president kneel before them like okay. submitting to their will like that's a pretty powerful scene actually because like superman gives up his powers at the beginning of that one and then you have the sure. evil uh trio is that the one with the trio of people or is that yeah. the first one okay yeah no the first one's lex luthor got it <laughs> what drives me crazy about those is lex luthor whenever he's talking about himself he always says the greatest criminal mastermind that ever lived <laughs> and I'm like okay once was enough <laughs> and then Superman 3 and 4 are just garbage. Yeah, it doesn't one of them have Richard Pryor in it? Uh, the third one, yes. Yeah. And it's all sorts of awful. Yeah, I kind of remember those two being real. Like, seeing one of them in the theater and remember, like, squirming, even as a kid. <laughs> thinking, yeah. this is terrible. Yeah. 
the third and fourth one, or maybe it's just the fourth one, are canon films, like the, oh. the studio canon. They just made a bunch of like Chuck Norris movies oh. and like Charles Bronson movies and stuff like that. Like just like Uber Machismo, Blow em Up, Explosion yeah, yeah. Shootout movies. And they like got the rights to Superman somehow. <laughs> and so they turned out like number four, I think. It, I think it was just number four. And yeah, it was a big steaming pile of garbage. Oh. And then of course now we have the Zack Snyder entries, which who's letting him make movies? Ah, <laughs> uh, they're just so bad. He's so bad. So bad. So bad. So one of the reasons that I like Superman Returns so much is a, it is supposed to be like the third entry of the the Richard Donner right. series. It follows after Superman Two. Correct. Yeah. So it just disregards three and four completely. Mm-hmm. And it really is a continuation. Like the opening credits are the same types of opening credits with the same music yeah. from those original two movies. I do like that John Williams theme. It's pretty. I think it's an iconic John Williams theme that doesn't get uh, the due that maybe it, it's, it's needs. It's worth. That a Star Wars gets or a yeah. E.T. gets or a Indiana Jones gets. I think it's just as good as those. Mm-hmm. I'm going to front load this review with the stuff that I don't like about it first. Okay. Watching this time, I was like, I've forgotten how long this movie is. Yeah. It's a it, long it's one. It's over two and a half hours. And like all superhero movies that are two and a half hours, it did not need to be. Yeah. Uh, so I was feeling the length this time. I was like, <laughs> That's kind of a main criticism I found. Uh but you know, I'm at, I'm sitting at home. I'm on my couch. I can deal with a long movie. I'd forgotten how boring Kate Bosworth is. <laughs> who is she anyway? The whole time I was like, who is this? Like I know the name Kate Bosworth, but like I can't put her face to like any other movie that I've seen her in. And I looked up on any I was like, oh, I've seen a lot of these. Yeah, who is she? I don't know anything <sighs> about her. She looks. I've like... probably seen her in things too, but oh, she's definitely. very forgettable. She's one of those people that I think someone said she was attractive without looking at her, and just no one bothered to correct that person. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, it's a Brian Singer film, so of course all the dudes are going to be a lot more attractive than the ladies. <laughs> True. Kind of, uh, kind of across the board. Because we got uh, Brandon Routh as Superman, who, as Superman, he's attractive, but his Clark Kent and just like... Too doofy. Well, no, I love it. Oh. Like, it just like warms my heart when he like pushes up his glasses and like oh yeah no. like that scene where he's like across the across the way and the the um james marsden is talking to uh, also a babe yeah kate, kate uh, whatever kate bosworth lois lane about him they're like maybe maybe it's clark and he's listening and then he turns and just goes <laughs> does a little wave and you're like oh, nah. nah well that's that's one of the things with superman is that like who could not identify clark kent as superman i've like stricken that criticism from my from my critique this time because it's like it's it's ugh, it's so obvious yes my my criticism now is like why even bother with the clark kent guys <laughs> like doesn't that just distract from saving people's lives yeah like he's got a oh I've, i can't write i can't go save this bus full of school children i gotta get this article in like <laughs> why are you keeping up the the ruse superman i don't get it uh, why doesn't he just live as Superman all yeah. the time? <laughs> well, because he still wants to have like human friends and stuff. He can't do that as Superman? No, that's the point of a secret identity. Otherwise, they'll go after the people that he loves. Okay. I mean, it hasn't... Having the secret identity doesn't seem to stop them, yeah. but... Uh, I mean, that that is the premise of having a secret identity, is that you have to keep your work life and your personal life separate. It just seems like a conflict of interest. In that Superman can't do his job if Clark Kent has to do his job. Because in this movie, we see him, like, saving people all over the world. (laughs) But it's like, there's a good, you know, eight hours a day where he's working at the Daily Planet. (laughs) So people on the other side of our planet are just shit out of luck, I guess. He's just saving people on his lunch break. Yeah. (laughs) On his bathroom breaks, on his... His smoke breaks. We I mean, don't... I also don't know that much about Superman. So, like, does he need to sleep? Does he need to eat? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if he needs to sleep. I think he just, like, goes up into the sun and, like, gets the yellow rays and he's good. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure that he does, but I don't think he needs to. I'm probably pissing off so many, like, <laughs> Superman geeks out there I was right like, now. whatever. They're DC fans. They're not even people. <laughs> 
I'm sure this is all documented somewhere on the internet, and I didn't bother looking it up, so apologies. But. Well, Superman's one of those those characters that's like so powerful and can do so many things that it's like, well, can he do this? Like, <laughs> you can kind of twist like what he can and can't do to like fit the frame of like whatever you're thinking about at the moment. Like, mm-hmm. oh, well, it's like if he can turn back time by like pushing the planet back. Why doesn't he just do that all the time? Yeah. Mm. <laughs> like, oh, something bad's about to happen. I'll just turn back the clock and then just stop it from happening altogether. Yeah, he brought Lois Lane back from the dead in Superman 2. One. She was, oh, was that one? Yeah. Where she gets buried alive? He just, like, turns back time. Yeah. Share style. If I could turn back time. Pushing the earth backwards on its axis turns time backwards. Right. But it also brings her back to life. I don't know. It was... Yeah. It's tenuous. Movie logic. <laughs> Suspend your disbelief, Ryan. Sure, sure, sure. I guess uh, in that vein, one thing I I did like about this... I guess real fast, I should say, I'm going to shit on this movie a bunch, but I actually really liked watching it. <laughs> okay. So... Um, it's a really easy movie to watch. Like, it's a big superhero movie. You know, it goes at a pretty good pace. It kind of slows down there at the end. Uh, yeah. But, you know, otherwise, it's a thoroughly enjoyable movie. Yeah, I actually kind of liked it. So... We do get some ridiculous Superman feats in this movie, but um, I feel like a lot of what the terror events are for people are kind of real life fears, like Hmm. a plane crashing, even though it's like launching a space shuttle. I mean, there's a little caveat there, but it's a plane crashing. That's very scary. And like Mm -hmm. Superman saves you from that. Then there's like uh, that gunman at the top of a... a building you know like a lone gunman sniper style i mean his gun is ridiculous but still the idea there and then also when uh parker posey's driving through crowds with cars with no brakes yeah you know like those are all acts of terrorism like real acts of terrorism that have happened since this movie yeah you know so it's like i think they tried to kind of play with that a little bit i mean this is obviously a 9-11 metaphor i think because sure well this yeah. movie comes out in 2006 right and yeah. they say like superman's been missing for five years oh, and it's like oh what okay. happened five years ago yeah. i wonder and you know they've all everyone's sort of like well we don't need a hero anymore we've moved on past this horrible tragedy kind of thing mm-hmm. um and so i feel like that's and i feel like that's why the first big action sequence is a plane crashing because i think in 2006 there was still a lot of like plane crash well, I mean, trauma in the air. You, you know? gotta think like New York didn't give up stop and frisk until like de Blasio took over four years ago. Jesus. So yeah, they had stop and frisk in place for like 12 years. The image of 9-11 was probably still very palpable in people. So. Absolutely, yeah. And I just think that like that's something that Brian Singer was kind of playing with. Yeah, that could be. You know, he was, he's sort of attuned to that stuff. I think with Superman, who's so powerful, you kind of have to focus on what he can't do. Mm-hmm. Because it's like, okay, well, you can't shoot him. You can't, you know, stab him. You can't, like, kill him without kryptonite, really. Yeah. So you have to just, like, focus on, like, what can't he do? Like, oh, he can't stop an earthquake. Uh, right. You know, if, you know, like, in the instance where there's... in Or in, like, the first Superman movie, where it's like he has to save Lois Lane or the school bus full of children. It's like, well, he can't do both. So what is he going to do in that situation where he can't do both? And that's the only time that Superman gets shading in that way. Otherwise he's just like the good character, always the good guy. Yeah. I I mean, I watch this now and it, it, it's, it's surprising me that the movie was a flop. I mean, it is and it isn't. Uh, I think it was a little too long, a little too slow to be like a big blockbuster. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, like, yeah, it's 2006. Superman was sort of the all American hero for years and years and years. Like he was supposed to be, clean cut you know no like bad fiber in his being right and like that's what it was to be like all american like in like the 30s and 40s when superman was like first becoming you know a comic book superhero totally like it was supposed to be sort of a representation of american values Mm -hmm. uh when we were unequivocally the good guys yeah and just we had a infallible moral compass and things like that. Like we were incorruptible. Mm-hmm. And so I was thinking about that while watching the movie. And uh, maybe this is a reflection on me, but I was like, God, if I was born with all these powers, like I would definitely use them for evil. It's funny because I, I did some reading 
And apparently a lot of people were really upset about the Superboy introduction that they do here. Oh, really? And I actually thought that was kind of an interesting introduction to him. Because, so it's, we find out, spoiler alert, that um, he and Lois Lane had a kid. And he, the kid, we see the kid discover that he has these amazing powers. He's been like a feeble child the whole movie. And suddenly he's able to push a grand piano on someone and kills them. Right, like Clark Kent had to, he grew up with glasses, but then like when he hit puberty like he suddenly didn't need them anymore right and like this kid is asthmatic and when he uses his powers like you see him breathing hard and you he looks at his inhaler and he realizes that he doesn't need it anymore yeah but it's like it's an interesting intro for for superboy it's an interesting intro to his powers because it's like he doesn't get that the realization that Clark or Superman gets where he's like running through the fields of corn, like, look how high I can jump and things like that. Mm -hmm. His is holy shit. I kill people. Yeah. You know? (laughs) Yeah. So it's like Clark or I guess Superman eventually someday realizes he can kill people like the limits of his powers or the possibilities of his powers. But, um, you know, Superboy is introduced to it at that point. Yeah. These are what my powers can do. I I like the way that it was introduced because, it's not like it was a stinger at the end, like, oh, here we go, introducing yeah. a new character. It's part of the story. It's like he saves Lois Lane, his mom, mm-hmm. uh, out of panic, and he doesn't even know that he has these powers. Yeah, and it it just it introduces a new variable and a new storyline that, you know, had this been picked up for more franchise entries, I think could have been like really good territory. Yeah, I think it would have been really interesting to see Superboy be a super teen yeah like angsty and shitty and being like well i could just hurt people if Mm -hmm. they piss me off you know so one thing that i was thinking about while watching this is uh what if superman instead of growing up to be this you know good virtuous person he grew up to be donald trump yeah (laughs) there's the article that lois lane wrote you know why the world doesn't need superman yeah and superman saves the plane from crashing that lois lane is on and I just like imagine if Trump did it, he'd, like, he'd want this like credit and appreciation <laughs> if he didn't get it. Uh, Lois he'd... Lane needs to take back that article that she wrote five years ago. The, the world doesn't need Superman. Superman doesn't need the world. <laughs> he just pushes the plane back up Sad. in the sky and drops it. Daily Planet is fake news. <laughs> <laughs> Even though he works there. Yeah. I should have let that plane crash. <laughs> None of those people properly thanked me for that. They should have rotted in their plane jail. <laughs> that is something that that is a difficulty with Superman, I think, for me personally, is that he's a difficult character to make interesting. Yeah, because yeah. he doesn't have a lot of moral ambiguity, right? He's always just the good guy, and he's always just doing good. Mm-hmm. You give him the conflict of having to choose between two good deeds, like that's interesting but it doesn't really say much about his character and like even and i don't know too much i haven't actually seen man of steel or batman versus superman or any of that shit oh, they're so but like, bad but like i guess apparently there's like zack snyder's trying to give him this edge of like well he's this authoritarian figure and he's like taking justice too far in the other direction but then it's like then he's just the bad guy if that's really what zack snyder's going for then he fails <laughs> Like, or at least he failed in that it does not come across in the character's actions. Like, he kills someone in Man of Steel and, like, gets real angry that he killed. But it was, like, the villain that he killed. He's just, like, upset that he killed someone. Okay, so if he's upset that he killed someone, why isn't he upset about the hundreds of people that are dying while he's hanging around floating trying to bang Lois Lane? Like, how many people died while he's, like, courting her, you know? Yeah. Well, I looked it up, and uh, in America, one person dies by accidental death uh, every three to four minutes. So if he spends, you know, 15 minutes flying her around, you know, that's like five people that died. And he didn't get upset about that, so. Yeah. yeah. Just saying. It is difficult to make Superman interesting because he's so powerful and he's so virtuous. You know, it's not that there's like a battle between like the good and light with like uh batman Mm -hmm. or like the balancing of like being a superhero with being a real real person or regular person like spider-man or something yeah like it seems like he's pretty good at balancing both Mm -hmm. and it's there's not too much conflict there so making superman interesting i think can be difficult Mm -hmm. 
which I mean is probably why I don't care too much for the other Superman movies. But I like this one a because Brandon Routh's pretty attractive. He makes a pretty cute Clark Kent. Agreed. We both picked him in the Scott Pilgrim episode we as did. our as the ex we'd want to bang. Uh, and Brian Singer, who's gay, usually populates his movies with fairly attractive men. And that happened in this one. And that happened in this one. I mean, not only do we have Brandon Ruth, but we have James Mardson. And even, you know, Jimmy Olsen has angles that work. Wait, who's that? He's the photographer kid. No, no, no. That is... Jimmy Olsen's the character's name. Oh, Jimmy Olsen. Yeah, yeah I'm sorry. Because I got real excited. I was like, it's Paul Dano. Mm, and I was like, no, it's, no, it's not. not. <laughs> it's uh, Sam Huntington is his name. Oh, yeah. I saw his name in the opening credits. I was like, that's too many last three words of a name. <laughs> And it clears up a big mystery that I've had for a long time, but I've been too lazy to look up. But I was like, is Paul Dano the guy from Detroit Rock City? No, it's <laughs> not. It's this dude, uh, Sam Huntington. Oh, okay. So, mystery solved. But they do look a lot alike. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. He he knows how to pick. Brian Singer knows how to pick an attractive man. Yeah, I mean, even like young Clark Kent. Oh, yeah. And there's Jail even Beatty. some like questionable shots when he's like, falling through the barn and then he's just floating there mm-hmm. there's one that there's one shot that's like from his feet up to his crotch and he like looks down through his <laughs> belly and it's like we don't need that brian did you ever see apt pupil long long time ago uh brad renfro's like constantly shirtless in that <laughs> i'm like he did not need to be shirtless for all these scenes yeah. a lot of this movie is a little tainted by like allegations namely for kevin spacey but also like brian singer's r.i.p <laughs> Yeah, it's sad that we lost Kevin Spacey. The late, great Kevin Spacey. Uh, I, We should do an in-memoriam. <laughs> uh, but, like, also, Brian Singer's been accused of a bunch of awful things, too. The, so, the only one that I heard of was right before the last X-Men movie was coming out. Uh-huh. And maybe maybe I'm, I'm just biased, but I feel that if you get accused of molesting little boys, like, it's got legs to it. Like, yeah. people don't just sit still for that accusation. You know, uh, Roy Moore has been having sex with 14-year-old girls, and people are like, mm, he still supports family values. But, like, when you, like, diddle a little boy, suddenly, like, oh, well, you're going to hell, and we can't have you in office no matter what. Yeah. So, and it was, like, time to, like, the scandal broke, like, right before the release of X-Men 2. Mm. So, I mean, I don't want to defend the sexual predator here if that's indeed what happened. But, like, that's the only one that I know about. And it was, yeah. like, time to be, like, right before, like, a movie release date. But you said that he's been accused more often than that. Yeah, I've re- I just remember reading pretty recently, like, in the last two or three years about some accusations that came out against him. But it was before we all woke up and were like, oh, we should be believing these people. And so I just sort of brushed it off. And I was also guilty of just being like, but I like Brian Singer. I don't <laughs> want to believe that shit. So... I don't know. X and X Men Two is one of my favorite movies. I I mean this, for me it it wasn't that it it had nothing really to do with how much I like or dislike Brian Singer. It was just that it it ha, like the scandal came out like two weeks before the last X Men movie was released, mm-hmm. and then it like wasn't solved until like after like the box office and release things, and then it was just dropped. Yeah, like it wasn't even like settled out of court. Like they just dropped it. So I was like, oh. That sounds like an, an attempt to get money. Like, maybe. And they found out that they couldn't get any, so it had to be dropped. Like, I don't know. Like, I'd have to, like, do more research on it and, you know, find out both sides of the story, of course. But, yeah. I don't know. It's tough. I read an, I read an article today in the Paris Review. I'm going to mention it because it's very appropriate. It's called, What Do We Do With the Art of Monstrous Men? Oh, yeah. And it actually kind of focuses on, it's written by a woman. Uh, Claire, oh, come on, Dederer, <laughs> something like that. Um, and she just sort of talks about how she's like, I love Woody Allen movies. Mm-hmm. And like, how, what do I do with these movies? You know, like, am I supposed to just hate them now? Why should I be denied these things that make me feel closer to humans just because the director and star of this is shitty. But then she goes on to talk about Manhattan. Oh, God. And how it's like, he's admitting that he's sleeping with a 17-year-old. Not him, the person, but, like, the character in that movie is, Mm -hmm. like, a shitty person. And it's like, she kind of calls that out. Men get so indignant and mad at her about it. 
So it's just sort of like, I don't know. She actually, she doesn't answer her own question, like what to do with these movies. She just kind of leaves it open-ended. She's like, who... I don't know. She, she and uh, it's really it was a really refreshing read. I definitely recommend it to people uh, if you're struggling with what to do with directors being accused of things but liking their art. She oh. goes into Roman Polanski too. I don't know if that makes you. Well, I was gonna say I know plenty of people who will like shit on Woody Allen, but then go and listen to Michael Jackson guilt free. Yeah. So I'm like, I don't know. Yeah. I feel like you think Woody Allen's creepy and disgusting. So you hate him, and this just justifies your hatred, whereas you like Michael Jackson. It's interesting, because she goes into also how it's like there's a feeling of righteousness by saying, like, I don't like this director. I'm never going to watch mm-hmm. his movie again. So, like, you feel better about yourself, too, by and, saying that. And in, indignant righteousness is pretty pretty uh, uh, captivating. Yeah, she covers it all. It's a really thoughtful essay. I'm just going to say it one more time. It's called, What Do We Do With the Art of Monstrous Men? It was in the published today, as of this recording, in the Paris Review by Claire Dederer, and I highly recommend it. It was very good. I'm also I I feel like if they are guilty, what they need to do instead of being ostracized, I think they need to use their fame to correct the injustice somehow. Like Louis C.K., I think he should have to sponsor like a Netflix special for all the women that he did this to. Yeah, there like, you go. Instead of like being just like ostracized and like punished that way, like he should be forced to do something that celebrates the people that he wronged. Hmm. You know, if, if he, so I think it was like three women who like signed the letter or something or, or, you know, said that like by we, with their name. Yeah. Yeah. If he had to like sponsor like out of his own pocket, like a Netflix special for each of them and they got like the top banner or something for like a, a week each or something like that. I, I mean, not to say that it would totally undo the wrong that he did, but I think that's just a, that's a better, you know, in, in a, a practical karmic sense uh, of at least setting the course right. Yeah. And you know what? That's actually something that could have been done privately with these women when they accused him in the first place. Yeah. So it's like kind of fuck you, Louis C.K., well, for bring, making them bring it into the public light and making us all go through your shit. I mean, that could have been because uh, there is at least an internet rumor that's sort of, sort of what happened with Tig Notaro. Because he's a producer on her show, right? And she's also one of the people who who claimed that he did like nasty things in front of her. But I just feel like ostracizing him doesn't do anyone any good. Like, no, it, I it agree punishes with you too. Him. And it's also like trial by uh, public opinion, yeah, which is a no good. Whereas even if it did come public and like restitution was that he had to turn around and like find a very public forum <laughs> in sort of a way to like say that I'm sorry, but like also to like help their career because like he was using their power his power to like belittle them now he has to use his power to like empower them mm-hmm. oh i just think that we need to like find new ways to uh rectify these situations other than just punishing the perpetrator like we need to find a way to like empower the survivors in this situation so be a superman <laughs> not a super boy use your powers for good we got off on a tangent here <laughs> It needed to be talked about. I yeah. mean, we kind of sidestepped it in the double feature, so we need uh, to we needed to address it. But I, yeah, I just it didn't, and that's the weird thing is like I went in, and at first I was a little worried because the first scene is like that woman saying oh, the yeah, craziest the wit- monologue of things like, "In spite of your past, I know you're a good man." And all good men deserve a second chance. You came from nothing. And you worked so hard to get where you are. You might have made a few mistakes. Is she talking about Kevin Spacey or (laughs) what? Rest in peace. I love that beginning scene. uh, Because like she's dying and Lex is like, helping her yeah. with the signature it's like she looks already dead and he's like and dots yeah <laughs> yeah but it's like that opening scene happened and i was like i don't know if i'm gonna be able to focus on this like i'm i, I my mind's already thinking about like other things you know allegations da, da, da. but 
I don't know. By the end of the movie, I was feeling like oh, no, I love just... how he comes out of that. He's got you know Lex Luthor with the hair, mm-hmm. and like the the family of like you know the deceased is like all outside the door. You could hear them banging like, "No, he's a crook! Don't let him do it!" <laughs> and he looks around and then he takes off his wig and gives it to the kid, and he's like, "You can keep that. The rest is mine." Oh, it's so good. It's like Kevin Spacey, R.I.P. You know, you're a scoundrel, but like I I I I hate to love you. Or no. I love to hate you. I don't know what I'm doing with you, but one of those two. He did have a good performance in this too, which sucks. Yeah. He play, he plays a villain very well. Yeah. So method acting, maybe? <laughs> Probably. So uh bounce back real quick to Kate Bosworth. Um you know what really highlights how boring she is? What's that? That Parker Posey's in this movie. <laughs> And that I love yeah. Parker Posey to death. I want to see a remake where Parker Posey plays every female character in this. <laughs> so it's basically just Kitty and Lois Lane. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. That'd be great. She just, you know, just two different wigs. That's all it really takes. Yeah. She could pull it off. Because she's so good in this. Like, her specific brand of humor and charm still comes out in this movie. Yeah. I love the line when he drops the... um tiny fragment of the crystal into the uh train set thing mm-hmm. in the water and she says the line what's her line it's um wow that's really something lex and wait then for like it. he's like wait for it and then she says it exactly the same <laughs> pitch for pitch wow that's really something lex it's just great delivery i loved when they went back to the the mansion after lex had gotten all the money uh-huh. and it's like all dusty and dilapidated and the old lady had like two little Pomeranian yeah. pups. And she comes in, she sees a Pomeranian pup like chewing on a bone. And she looks, she goes, Weren't there two of those? Yeah, she's she's a real highlight of this movie. I for mean, sure. she's a real highlight I, of any movie. I, yeah, I was going to say, I love Parker Posey just in general. And I, I don't think that she's ever really found a starring vehicle to shine in. Not yet. But she is a great supporting cast member. Yeah, I love when she. Uh, She's coming back from the um, breaks incident. I was gonna pretend the brakes were out. Pretend, like we talked about. You didn't actually have to cut them! Of course I did. A man can always tell when a woman is pretending, especially Superman. Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. So did you get your rock? She's got great delivery. She's just she's got screen presence and she knows like how to deliver a line. She's just so good, which is why I'm like kind of wanted her to be Lois Lane. <laughs> like I'm glad yeah. that she's like the the comic relief sidekick for the villain too. Yeah. Like her and and uh the late Kevin Spacey had great repartee, mm-hmm. great rapport. But I'm like, "Ah, oh, Kate Bosworth, come on." Get it together, man. She really man. is a charisma sink. Like it was, it it just seemed really obvious to me on this watch how boring she is. Mm. Just nothing going on. I also was bugged by Lois Lane's motivation when she's like gets on the boat and they're like exploring it, and then she sees the wigs, the several wigs, and she goes, "Let's go. This was a bad idea." It's like when is sneaking onto a rich person's boat. <laughs> ever a good idea with your child yeah what are you doing lois bad mom bad mom yeah just kind of seems like you're walking into danger it's irresponsible is what it is bad parenting and i mean she admits it to him too she's the kid's like are we trespassing no yes for the record you delivered that line better than kate bossworth (laughs) so lex luthor spacey in memoriam great Lex Luthor and what I like about this movie in particular is that it plays on the themes that were established with Lex from the first movie Mm -hmm. the in the original Superman Lex Luthor buys up all this land in eastern California and like western Australia and Nevada okay which is like desert land and essentially worthless so he buys it on the cheap and everyone's like why is this millionaire buying all this land well, then Lex Luthor, like, devises this plan to have, like, a nuclear bomb, like, set off. 
and it's gonna create like a tsunami or earthquake or both and bury like the west coast of california and just like have it go into the water and then suddenly he's got the prime real estate Mm. he's got all the the remaining uh territory okay um consistency yeah and so i like that this is just another way for him to get valuable land. Mm-hmm. Like it's still, it rings true with the characters that we know from the previous movie. Mm-hmm. Like he's just devising a new way to get land. And I mean, he's taking it seriously because he had those maps printed. <laughs> like I th- at first I was like, is that just a screen and he's got a projector? But like, no, he hits a button and a uh, new a map new comes down. You're building an island. You're not seeing the big picture here, Miss Link. Let me enlarge it for you. Not just an island, an entirely new continent. He went to the printer for that. (laughs) And with Lex, you get a brain versus brawn. Like, it's an interesting fight. I think that's one of my problems with, like, Man of Steel or Batman versus Superman, is that it's brawn versus brawn. Right. And it's just, who's the strongest? Who has... Who has the metal to withstand the most beating? And when, this goes back to like what Superman can't do. Mm-hmm. That's how Lex is thinking. It's like, what can't he do? It's like, yeah. yeah, you have to like get kryptonite into the story somehow. But the way that he does, like the way that he formulates around that, it's like, yeah, he he's actually thinking about like what super like he's thinking of Superman and what are Superman's limitations. Yeah, and he's exploiting those limitations. Two things. I have two things. Number one, I can't believe you're making me do this, but this is uh, a reason why I like Unbreakable. <laughs> I actually like Unbreakable. I do and too. I like it for the reason that um, it pits superheroes against each other who are perfectly matched, or superhero versus supervillain who are perfectly matched. Um, and or I like inversely matched. Yeah, inversely matched yeah. really well. I like, uh, and you don't know that until later. Like it's a, it's probably the best Shyamalan reveal, I would say. Anyway, we can talk about that on another podcast. But uh, I also want to talk a little bit about the nature of kryptonite. Okay. (laughs) Because I get it. It's an alien. It's a piece of his alien home planet. So Mm -hmm. it's like it's a a compound that we don't know a ton about. Mm -hmm. But it definitely strikes me as just having the consistency of green glass. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's like oh yeah i mean it doesn't seem like it's a, a particularly dense he breaks it off in superman's side yeah well i mean he, when superman gets like thrown around on like the island thing like those like columns and beams or whatever kind of shatter pretty easily yeah and uh i don't know when does it cease being kryptonite because superman's able to lift that huge island of that out of the ocean and toss it into space yeah but it's like is it still kryptonite like why there's like be? green shards coming out of it but then why does he still have his powers well he kind of does it when he lifts it out like that's why he collapse collapses back to earth and is like dead and in a coma yeah, and has to go to the hospital yeah mm. which is another 9-11 metaphor i would say sure because what isn't a 9-11 you know 9-11 was the was the moment that america showed its uh that it's vulnerable to these kind types of attacks right like historically and so if superman is sort of a uh, stand-in for america and america's you know what we are like you, you know superman has has vulnerabilities too sure there were a lot of shots, and I don't have an answer for this. I want to ask you, uh, where Superman or something is floating behind like a glowing orb or in front of a glowing, glowing orb. So it looked like an eye. Mm. It happens. I noticed three times in the movie. One is the very first shot yes. with the planet. That looks like an eyeball. Yes. Uh, then when he's uh, got Lois Lane on his feet and he starts floating up in front of the Daily Planet thing, mm-hmm. kind of same same situation, a little black thing in front of uh looks like an eyeball okay and then at the very end when he uh floats up to gather his powers from the sun before he lifts the kryptonite boulder out he does there's that shot again and he uses his heat ray vision to cut it out oh Uh, yeah yeah so but and then there's also the scene where like the bullet the guy with the huge gun shoots him and it hits him in the eye 
I'm just curious what you think the symbolism of eyes are in this. Yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, I did see his eyes a lot because they were uh, the uh, crystalline blue of a Siberian ice husky. <laughs> but yeah, I'm not sure what the, the, the symbolism of the eye would be. But it was all over. You saw it too, though, right? It's not just... Well, definitely the- at the beginning, like 100%, like when the... the planet is exploding like when they're showing the destruction of krypton mm-hmm. um yeah i definitely saw it there and then i definitely noticed brandon ruth's eyes but i just figured that was for different reasons entirely <laughs> i mean i don't know then you could start thinking about how like clark kent the only thing that makes him clark kent is glasses which cover his eyes yeah because there, there is like they do like the rom-com thing where it's like him and Lois Lane. Like she drops like her bag full of stuff oh, yeah. and his glasses drop off and you see him like grab him and put him back on real quick. It's so, like, that's the only thing that's like yeah. keeping her from discovering. I'm like, no, I don't know. It's just, it's there. I just, I wasn't able to really come up with a good answer for it. Yeah. I don't know if I have an answer for it, but yeah. Uh, I guess while we're talking about conceits of Superman, so, I'm not sure when it came out. It must be episode or comic book one, but the it's a bird. Action Comics number one. Yeah, it's a bird. It's a plane. No, it's it, Superman. <laughs> I always think it's kind of odd that people got excited about a bird. <laughs> Look up in the sky. It's a bird. What if it just stopped there and everyone's yeah, like, "Yeah, that's where birds belong." <laughs> cool, dude. I mean, planes, too. Is it, was that first person just a member of the Audubon Society? He was like, oh, my God, <laughs> everyone look a bird. I guess, you know, maybe planes were exciting back in, like, action comics. It was, like, 1939 or something. Yeah, that, that could be thrilling. Out. So people were like, oh, what is that iron bird? <laughs> and we're like, no, that's a plane. <laughs> I like the inclusion of it here, though. I did, too. And I really love the line that they gave to uh, Clark Kent then when he finally walks in at the end. Look, in the sky, Chief. It's a bird. It's a plane. No, look, it's... You wanted to see me? Oh, that's good writing. Yeah. Actually. So what made you pick this movie? I'm curious. Just it's your favorite one in the Superman franchise? It's my favorite one of the Superman franchise. And when thinking about other franchises, I don't know. I want to get a superhero one in here or... At least one. Mm-hmm. Who knows what I have coming up? It's also one that I find to be hugely underappreciated. Like that. That other other favorites in in franchises. I feel like I'm not the only one that likes it, or like anyone who's like seen all the entries knows this is the best one. And you know, uh, I, I won't be picking this one for the podcast. So I'll say it now. But like, you know, a lot of fans of the uh, Nightmare on Elm Street franchise like number three a lot. Mm. And it's like anyone who's seen that franchise all the way through tends to hold a, a, a special s- spot in their heart for number three. Mm-hmm. But this one, like people who've seen the whole franchise seem to sort of ignore this one. And even like, I, I know some people who like favor like the more modern Zack Snyder ones over this one. I was surprised at how much I liked this, to be honest. I, I, I did I did enjoy it. So thank you for surprising me. Oh, good. I'm glad you liked it. <laughs> did we talk about how brandon routh was on lady dynamite yet no wait when i just watched season two over the weekend okay so he's in season one where uh so maria bamford only dates people who played superman in that first season she dates dean kane she dates brandon routh and there's another guy i can't remember his name but um he's the character who she meets at the dinner party and she can only talk like this to him and he loves it and then it turns out he doesn't know what what comedy is he's not good at it i don't think anything is funny i hate laughing the end of the episode is they're like uh let's just uh let's like drop it all pretense like i'll speak like this maria's like and she's like you don't have to laugh at any of my jokes and he's like oh good i'm glad we can just be normal and then he farts for like a minute and a half
And then she laughs and he's like, what's so funny? I was just releasing gas from my bowels. I kind of remember that. I just don't remember being Brandon Routh. It oh, is. Oh, man. It totally is. You should, I rewatched it last night. It's, it's really good. Oh, man. Are you uh, prepared to hear what I'm going to make yes. you watch? Because I feel like uh, when you have even numbered movies, you get a little wacky. <laughs> Well, this episode is going to come out on Christmas. Oh, yeah. The holiday season is upon us, and felt like doing something wintry and, uh, you know, involves family. I want to do Force Majeure. Oh, God. <laughs> you with your slow foreign films. <laughs> God. Nothing says Merry Christmas like emasculation and avalanches i was gonna say we talk a lot about the fragility of of masculinity and like that movie is sort of a testament to it (laughs) i don't know i only saw it once but i feel like it's uh wintry and uh i'd like to watch it again i remember liking it you know i i right now sans the the homoeroticism uh, I kind of have the same feelings that, that I had about uh, Stranger by the Lake. Oh. And rewatching Stranger by the Lake, I liked it a lot, lot more. So maybe I'll like Force Majeure a lot, lot more. Maybe, maybe not. <laughs> maybe I'll hate it. Who knows? Let's plug our junk. All right, let's plug our junk. Visit our new website, xratedmovies.com. It's got what's coming up, what has come up, and some trinkets of info about us. Also... You can follow us on Twitter at xratedmovies or send us an email x.rated.movies at gmail.com. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcast. And if you could drop a star rating or maybe write a little review or both, that would be really, truly greatly appreciated because we need more of those. Yeah, we really appreciated all the people that did it for the double feature. Yeah, that was a big boost. Thank you. We really appreciate everybody doing that. And... um, You'll all be receiving checks. No, no, no. Wait. Uh, scratch that. I'm getting, I'm getting a big no, no from the producers. The, the cutting the neck gesture there. So never mind. That's just because they poisoned your wine. Oh, I see. <laughs> Don't drink the wine. The best way to find out what we're up to next would be to follow us on Facebook at Rated X Movies. Uh, thanks again for listening. And we'll see you here next week for Force Majeure. Oh my god. The snow. The snow. Oh.